not going to stop now, are you? All of a sudden, spell. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. What are you? Heather's singing. Know that it's probably mad. What are you singing? <laughs> the Rainbow Connection. It's the Rainbow Connection? Sean, are you serious right now? What's Do you rain- not know the Rainbow Connection? No. Kermit the Frog? Uh, oh. Rainbows shit. are only... I'm, I'm sorry. Only. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm uh, Oh, man. I'm not good at that stuff. The Muppets? No wonder you turned out like this. Mouse Podcast. It's about birds. Hello. Happy New Year. And welcome back to Foul Mouths. Before you say anything, we know you missed us. And you're just happy we're back. We love you, too. We are surviving a fun winter of snot rivers and the obligated holiday happenings. Not birding, sleeping, or keeping up with basic personal hygiene. But we'll be damned if we don't get an episode out to you, our adoring fans. Our next guest needs very little introduction. Big Day King Greg Neese took time from the busy daily happenings of the ABA to sit down and tell us disgusting stories, talk about the future, and remind us all why getting involved is the best thing that we can do for those little feathered fuckers that we love so much. So thanks for coming on the show. Hey, you've already got a long been a long time coming, but I know we've been trying to fucking figure this shit out. You it's, know, we're all busy. We're you all know, busy. Life, toddlers. Mm. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. I have I have a, a friend. One of my one of my good birding buddies. You know, had a kid, and we haven't seen him since. Basically, yeah, Bye. dropped off. That's, yeah. Bye yeah. forever. Yeah. I understand that now. I used to be bummed, and now I'm like, oh, I totally get it. Well, I mean, you know, when the when the when the when the larva was crawling around, it was you know, or, or in the thing that you carry them around, whatever that's called, um, the thing you carry, it was okay, you know, because you could put him someplace and he wouldn't do anything. But now that he's mobile, it's like, yeah, all bets are off. Was he just like in a like in a net bag? He just pulled them <laughs> around behind you, or <laughs> I, I, think was, I think it was like a Trader Joe's shopping bag. Yeah, oh, that's, that makes sense. That's nice. Yeah. We'll put a pillow in the bottom. It's probably pretty comfortable. But, but not the not the paper one, but like the high right. quality. We found that you can really ninety nine cent one. We found that you can fit a toddler very comfortably in an IKEA blue bag. Yep, they fit super oh, well. Yeah. Oh, oh hell yeah, yeah. waterproof. That, yeah, and you can put that over your shoulder too. Yep. yep. Oh, sweet. Yep. <laughs> so that's how we're going to be birding. Yeah, it's, excellent. It's birding with kids. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Just... Speaking of birding with kids, yes. you started birding as a kid. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was Start this fucking back. That was yeah. just seamless. That was so seamless. I, no one even I, noticed. I didn't see it coming. I, I just, <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about how you got started birding. Sure. Your spark bird and all that good stuff. Um. Well, I uh, uh, I was I was born into a dysfunctional showbiz family from Hollywood, and um, this is true. I'm not joking. Um, and my parents were violent alcoholics, mm. and um, I spent my brothers and I spent as much time outside the house as we possibly could just to get away from them. And uh, I lived across the street from Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, and. When I say across the street, I mean literally across the street. We went out. We lived at. Well, here's so here's the deal. I, I grew up in the penthouse of a hotel. Um, oh, and that's like yeah, so we, Hollywood. 
It, it was my my dad rented the penthouse of the Webster Hotel as our apartment where we lived, Jeez. and we lived there for years. Um, so weird. And coming outside the lobby, the front door lobby, literally was the gate to the zoo across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time there because even by the time I was you know six seven years old, I was completely infatuated with animals. Um, and the uh, Fort Dearborn chapter of the of the National Audubon Society um, had bird walks there three days a week. I think it was Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, or something like that. Uh, and so I just tagged along on one. Like I, I happened to be going to the birdhouse anyways, and I saw these people out there looking at stuff, and I just kind of followed them along. And I was nine years old. I was probably eight at the time, right? Just before my ninth birthday. Um, and I just tagged along with them. And I was like, hey, I kind of got into it. And, you know, they were all real friendly. Um, unlike my situation at home, I was like, oh, wow, friendly adults. This is, really, <laughs> this is something. Functional. Oh, yeah, they're showing me things and talking to me. And and um, uh, and and quite a few of them became very good friends in the, in the years to come. Um, but that, you know, my, my dad had uh, this old pair of binoculars that he didn't use, and I just kind of absconded with them. Uh, and I, I started going on the bird walks, uh, especially on Sunday, but I, I started um, not going to school to go on the bird walks. That's um, hardcore. Well, truant birder. And yeah, oh, I got kicked out of, well, I almost didn't graduate grade school, eighth grade, and I got kicked out of high school in my first year. Hmm. Um, and because of birding, um, yeah, I was going to say because of birding, oh, and because smoking of birding in the bathroom. And, and because I'm, no, no, there was no smoking in the bathroom or anything. I was a total geeked out dork kid, um, but I was very stubborn. I, I technically got kicked out of Whitney Young High School for refusing to square dance. <laughs> this is true. In yeah, but that's you know class, what that shit's like propaganda from Henry Ford. So like, in PE good for you. class, they they forced you to square yeah. dance, and I I absolutely flat out refused. I would have gotten kicked out too. Wow. <laughs> but I also, but I also, it was the last straw. But I also never showed up for school because I was always out birding. Holy shit! And um, uh, I was, but at the time, well, I got to back up now because now we're 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 like ten years ahead. Uh, or, or a few years ahead. So, um, yeah, I started tagging along with, with them. And then um, like the, the end or so of, of my first or beginning of my second year, whatever it was in this, you know, few months of tagging along with them. Um, I got a, I got a Peterson field guide and I was, you know, learning that and, and just devouring it. Um, and one of the birds in there that, that piqued my interest that I, that I saw with, could be seen in Chicago that I really wanted to see was a red-breasted nuthatch. Um, so it was just the pattern, the colors, the fact that it went down uh, the tree face first. Um, and, and white-breasted nuthatches have never been common in the city itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Uh, so really, you you don't see in the city, you really don't see very many. Uh, it, it's unusual to see a white-breasted nuthatch. Hmm. Um, and we were walking along and I got ahead of the group and I got about a hundred, 200 yards ahead of the group down this walkway. And, uh, I found a red breasted nuthatch and I identified it myself and I went running back to the group and I was just so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was a, a guy that used to write an article, uh, or a column for uh, the Chicago reader a guy named Jerry Sullivan. Um, 
who uh, wrote a, a, a column for the reader called Field and Street um, about urban wildlife. And he was leading that particular bird walk. And he introduced me to the term life bird and got me all excited about finding lifers. And um, yeah, so that was my spark bird was, was red-breasted nuthatch. Oh man, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's, a good, it's a good spark bird. We don't get them very often here, so. Yeah. But there was one that. that was right outside our window all last winter. Yeah, it was irregular. Yeah. Not anymore. Was, no, because nope. we had to move the feeder because of squirrels. So red-breasted nuthatch is a spark bird. You got kicked out of school for birding. That's fucking awesome. I don't know yeah. if uh, we I, we should do like a listener's poll to see if you're the only person. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, so here's, I mean, it, well, it, it came about real strange. And, you know, again, I... I grew up without adult supervision. Sure. I mean, I, I had n- no parents. I mean, to give you an idea, and again, I'm not exaggerating. I went to a dentist for the first time in my 20s when I got a job and got health insurance. Holy mm. fuck. And I, yeah, my parents had, they did not take care of their children other than putting food in front of us and giving us a place to live. Um, and I uh, um, was... I wound up working at the Chicago Academy of Sciences and I met Dr. Beecher at the Academy kind of the same way I got into the the bird walks. I just started hanging out and this man who was working there took an interest in me and, and started talking to me. And next thing you know, he's the director and he's kind of taken me on as his protege. Um, And he had me working at the museum for a hundred dollars a week, I think it was when I was uh, 13. Um, And I got to work, I got to work in the collections. I got to work, you know, I was learning taxidermy. He taught me photography, taught me illustration. Um, You know, he was, it was, it was really incredible. Um, And that's what I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. And in my unsupervised you know, 13, 14 year old brain, school was a problem. School was keeping me from doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, you were basically at school. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I was learning more. I was, I was learning more there than, well, I, I shouldn't say more, just different. Yeah. But I just, I wasn't interested in anything they were, they were telling me or teaching me at school. Um, and I, I just, my, my interest in school just got less and less and less and less. And then one day, you know, when, when, well, so I got, I, I got kicked out of Whitney Young for not square dancing. Beecher, um, that was the, the director of the museum, Dr. William Beecher. Um, the, he was extremely well connected Chicagoan. He contacted the uh, principal at Chicago Metro high school who uh, which was which was a high school that was modeled after a college so there there was no attendance or anything like that you showed up when you showed up it was all based on on scores and and um so anyways he got me in there and i went there for a couple of months and again just it didn't interest me they had a dark room um so i i spent some time in the dark room but it didn't interest me and um by that time, it was like right before my 16th birthday. And um, uh, was it that late? No, it wasn't that late. It was earlier than that. 
but the, the you know the the uh, um, uh, the principal sat me down in his office and he attempted to scare me straight. He said, "Listen, if you don't do these things and blah 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 blah, I'm going to kick you out." And I was like, "Done." And I got up and I walked out. <laughs> and uh, I went to the museum and I was elated because now I was done with school and I could work at the <laughs> museum full time. Yeah. And Dr. Beecher lost his shit. Right. He he terrified. I mean, he was he had a legendary temper. And uh, I, I remember one time uh, the uh, curator of the museum who used to travel with him all over, um, he hated this guy. And he wanted me to come travel with him. Uh, but I was too young. I was too young and the board of directors wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, so this guy, George, had to go with him. And one day, George was running out to the cab. They were going to the airport. I think they were going to India or something. And uh, there was ice in the parking lot. It was winter. And George slipped on the ice while carrying Beecher's bags to the car and cracked his head on the on the parking lot concrete. It was Oof. laying there, like bleeding on the concrete. And Beecher walked over and picked up the bags and put them in the car, called George a fucking idiot for running on the ice, got in the cab and left him there. <laughs> and George wound up meeting him in India like five days or eight days later. Jesus. Um, Chicago's so a hard had, place. This guy had a temper. This guy had a temper. And he aimed that temper at me for the first time. And I, I panicked. And I ran out of the museum and I never went back. Oh, really? You never went back? I never went back after that. I was terrified. I, I mean, that was like the first back. time you were really disciplined, right? Yeah. Hmm. So that's a yeah, shock. Well, dis and, discipline, and... Disciplined in a way that mattered to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, disciplined by somebody I cared about. Right. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I never went back to the museum. And uh, that was when I was, uh, I think I was just past 16 at that point. So would you describe him as your first mentor absolutely in, okay absolutely we used to go out birding all the time um there was a, a wonderful gentleman named uh william jarvis who the uh jarvis bird sanctuary in chicago is named after and jarvis was his best friend and he was an old southern gentleman and drove this gigantic green cadillac and uh, beecher and i and uh, would get in the Cadillac with Bill and th their two lady friends who were each named Kathy. And we would, we would drive, we would drive out to places um, like uh, uh, the sand prairies in Northwest Indiana and just go out there and do what I would call naturalizing all day long. And Beecher and I would be looking for birds and the Kathy's were looking for plants and, um, Jarvis was out there talking to landowners. Um, yeah, Bill Jarvis and, and Bill Beecher are responsible for a lot of the wildlife preserves that we have around the Chicago area because they would find someplace like Pinhook Bog, which is now part of, of the uh, um, Indiana Dunes National Park. Uh, Bill Jarvis was instrumental in having that preserved because the guy wanted to fill it in. It was an old old guy wanted to fill it in and make it farmland. And um, it was Bill Jarvis who sat down with him week after week and taught him about the plants and taught him how important it was. Hmm. Um, so yeah, these are the guys I was hanging out with. 
So when you had that, um, when you left, it, it's surprising, like you, you still kept with birding, like that was still strong. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it, it's, birding's been the, the, the touchstone in my life. I mean, I've, I've had, I've been through a, a, a lot of uh, situations. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of stuff has happened and, uh, and, and, you know, like I, I wound up being homeless in Colorado for a year. Um, yeah, but who hasn't? Yeah, yeah. I'm just sleeping in the lawn. So I, was, I wound up you know, sleeping in the laundromat in Redstone, Colorado, because it was the only place that was open at night that was heated. And the heater was in front of the toilet so that the toilet bowl didn't freeze. Uh. And so I would sleep on the floor between the toilet and the wall. Hmm. Good old toilet heater bed. That's, yeah, hmm. that was that was me for a little while. The things you know, near twenties. Hmm. Um, but yeah, birding birding was the touchstone. It's like when things got jinky, there was always birding, and there was always the birding community. I met some people birding in Colorado who were very kind to me, and you know, it's it's always been uh, the good the good place in my life. Do you ever make up with uh, Beecher later on in your life, or was that it? I did um, kind of wonderfully and, and sadly at the same time, I was, you know, now this 10 years or more after that, that day I ran out of the museum and, and I was birding in the park and I ran into him and he didn't recognize me. And we wound up talking and um, we wound up spending the rest of the day birding and um, had a really good time. And, you know, at that point in my life, I, I had just started getting serious, like with a girl for the first time uh, in my late 20s, like we're actually going to live together and do this thing. And um, so I, I didn't go back and keep that contact going. And not very long after um, after that, he had a stroke mm. and didn't really remember me or birds or anything. And it was like, it was kind of sad because he lived for a, a, quite a few more years, but basically he could just like walk across the street to the wine and pantry and get mm. candy bars and go back to his apartment. Mm. Yeah. It was nice you got to share that one one last uh, birthday. Yeah. Trip. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a, a wonderful uh, October day of of birding, and we did some hawk watching, and it was it was really wonderful. It seems like you've had a lot of these little fortuitous experiences with birding. Like you know, you just so happen to see that crowd and join, and you just so happen to get involved with Beecher at the museum, and then this this um, this experience as well. That, well, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I, you know, just keep your eyes open in life. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Just show up, right? Just, well, yeah, I mean, showing up is half the battle. Exactly. Just show up. That's, you're very right. One of the things we've been trying to, like, focus on as a podcast is uh, getting kids involved and trying to keep, you know, building up the future generations. Sounds sure. like uh, mentorship is a, is a solid way to get going there is there um i mean you just you got lucky walking into a museum huh but like does the aba doing anything with uh fostering mentorship programs or anything like that oh right absolutely now? we have a we have a, a a huge young birder program um that 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 reaches kids in a in a bunch of different ways um one of 
uh, one of the things we have is the uh, uh, Young Birder of the Year mentorship program. Um, and this is something that you know, basically anybody, uh, and there's, I think there's two or three, uh, there's two age classes. Um, and again, I have my computer screen off and I have a bad memory for numbers and things. So, um, <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, if Jeff is my boss, if you're listening to this, you know, just I, I'm getting probably going to get the numbers wrong. So just deal. Um, <laughs> we can put the real information on the live yeah, show. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be links and stuff yes, on the yeah, show. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I usually go back um, and do clean um, up there. But we do, we do a couple of Young Birder camps, actually four this year. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, so Camp Colorado, Camp Evaset in uh, Delaware. Um, we're doing a youth camp, birding camp in Costa Rica. Um, and we're doing one for the first time in South Africa. Jeez. Um yeah oh, wow. and, and you know it's, it's 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 you could say it's somewhat exclusive because these aren't free obviously right but there, there are scholarships available um and that's also information about scholarships for these camps is available on our website um and uh, uh there are quite a few birding organizations you know local birding or clubs that raise money um to send one of their young members to one of our camps. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so yeah, there, it's 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 a neat program. Um, and then the Young Birder of the Year mentorship program is something you know anybody can do. It's online. There's a bunch of di different modules like illustration, photography, note keeping, um, writing, conservation and community. Um, and you have to you know uh, do things to qualify in these various modules. Sure. So you have to keep a notebook for the year and then submit the actual notebook to oh. us. And we have three people who will judge the notebook um, or you know, whatever it is, your photography, your, your essays, um, whatever it is. Uh, and then there's, there's, um, there's some prizes involved and, uh, and it's, and it's cool, but you know, just the process of going through it because the mentors work with the kids throughout the year. And so it's, it's not like you're just out there blind. Right. Uh, I was going to say, you know, just like, yeah, here, kid, send me this book. And right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a program. It's cool. Oh, that's amazing. If you have interest in biology, anything, naturalism, freaking photography, all of that, there's, there's a, it gives you a good opportunity to get involved and learn from the best. Right. I guess. So absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, some of the, um, Oh, I'm trying to remember who the mentors are this year. And um, just got done working up that web page and I can't remember. But if you go on our website, you'll you'll see um, under the Young Birder program, you'll see Young Birder of the Year mentors. They're all listed there. Awesome. That's a good good resource. But there'll be some people you definitely know. Sounds good. Artists, stuff. field guide authors, and so on. Awesome. I think actually, I think Jonathan Franzen is uh oh. one of the writing mentors right. this year wow that's that's huge that's a heavy hitter right there well known so yeah. um because you mentioned it and we're talking about it um can you tell us a little bit more about the aba oh yeah um sure uh we are the american birding association and we are celebrating our we're at the finish of our 50th year Jeez. um and uh we're we're a uh, we're a membership organization that, in a nutshell, uh, supports and promotes birding and 
the appreciation and conservation of um, wild birds. Um, there's a lot more to it. Uh, you know, we're a, we're a fairly small staff, but we're really scrappy and turn out a lot of stuff. And um, we turn out two or three magazines on a regular basis, um, a boatload of web content, um, things like birding news, um, parts of the blog that are really popular, like rare bird alerts, um, rare bird alerts on social media. The um, podcast. I, I was just, yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention the podcast. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other stuff that, that people use um, a lot. You know, I, birding news gets a tremendous amount of traffic. And yeah. all of these things are, are available for free. Um, you know, the magazines, if you're a member, um, we have several different membership levels uh, starting at the moment at $30 for a digital membership. Um, you know, you'll get access to birding magazine and, and some other um things like listing central. Um, but most of what we do is available to the birding community for free and being a member supports that it supports the, um, the young birder programs that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, all of, all of this stuff takes people to actually do it. Um, you're like the NPR of birds. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's 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 kind of like a public television or NPR kind of model. Oh, that's fantastic. And you're that's 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 yes, we are kind of like the NPR of birds. Yeah, I mean those uh, the rare bird alerts, the, all of the ABA uh, Facebook groups. I've learned so much about you know, especially for especially when a rare bird shows up in some weird part of the country that I've never been to. You get to see these great. Uh, yeah. good photos, good descriptions, all of the learning how to ID from all the people that sort of hang out in those groups regularly and stuff like that. It's it's a really fantastic resource if you're and that's, uh, trying to and, learn. And, and thanks. And that's, you know, that's, that is like that um, because of a lot of work. Um, yeah. It, curating Facebook groups is one of the, one of the most challenging things I've done. I've been, I've been working as a web developer since the mid nineties um and and been involved in in you know social media and all aspects of things happening on the web and and the one of the most challenging things that i've i've had to do is is manage and curate facebook groups especially when you get to some of our groups like what's this bird with 40 i think forty five thousand members at this yeah. point everybody's an um, expert <laughs> well it's and well it's not so much everybody's an expert um it's it's Nobody reads the rules <laughs> yeah, right. and the rules are there to keep things moving straight. And the, the, the reason we want things moving straight is because of what uh, I think it was, I, I forget if it was Sean or Scott who just said, you know, you learn so much from there. That's because we make sure that it's not filled with garbage and we don't, you know, you, you go to a lot of groups and, and it's just, there's just stuff all over the place. And, you know, we make sure that, you know, you bop in there and you want to go through 20 or 30 photos of whatever the sparrows. And there's good discussion of why this is a song sparrow and not a Lincoln sparrow. Um, and you don't have to dig through a bunch of garbage to find that. Hmm. Um, and that takes, that takes work and time. And we have some really dedicated uh, volunteer mods, um, 
in the especially in the what this what's this bird group um jason ward is one of them mm-hmm. i was gonna say you need some bird police for that moderation <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm not letting jeffrey anywhere near that <laughs> he's gotta he's gotta put the badge down before he gets <laughs> we'll insert a siren sound here yeah exactly <laughs> So what are some other organizations that you're involved with um, in terms of birding, obviously? Well, or not. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean you know. Yeah. I'm, AAA. I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, AAA has helped us out a bit. <laughs> um, I, I'm involved in my, my local uh, um, community here, which has nothing to do with birding. Um, but we, I, I kind of live now in an entertainment district. Um, so there's a lot of live music and a lot of, we have little, uh, craft brewery practically across the street from my house mm-hmm. um and um three four live music venues um and, I, and i'm involved in helping to promote that uh which is a lot of fun um i'm going completely the other direction um i was one of the the founders in the the late 80s of the rainforest conservation fund um, and served on the board of directors for a long time and was president for nine years. Um, and we, we had a, we're, we're, we're still around, um, currently without any kind of a real project. Uh, but our, our project for, uh, a couple of decades, uh, was the, uh, Tom Shiakutawayo community reserve in Northeastern Peru and, um, getting that established, uh, and and established in a way that was meaningful, um, and you know I've, I've said it's a, a big part of a nonprofit organization like that. Um, you know, not like ABA, but but when your your goal is land conservation, you're trying to put yourself out of business. You know, you're, if if you're successful, then you're not necessary. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's. Um, that's kind of what, what, what happened in RCTT, uh, which is what we call it. Um, you know, we, we turned it over to the local people, um, and that the day-to-day management and everything is all run locally and, and they don't really need us that much anymore. Hmm. That's fantastic. So that's, that's successful. That's successful. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said we're still in we're still involved, but um, you know, we we did things that the, the villagers just were completely incapable of doing at the time because they just didn't have access. Sure. Um, when the when the reserve was was created, we were looking at ways to protect it. And one thing, yeah, in Peru, um, village boundaries. If if you get the villages in you know the the, the incorporated basically. Um, they they mean something, and they're they're the local police will respect that, um, or at least in in Loreto around Iquitos, and uh, so what we did is we we went and got all of the we hired env- environmental lawyers and got all of the villages around the reserve on the edge incorporated, and we included all the land that they use for hunting and fishing, hmm. and then made it so that the boundaries touched one another mm. and effectively formed a, a, a ring right. of these incorporated villages all the way around the, uh, the Western edge of the preserve. Um, so that 
loggers and illegal fishermen and so on couldn't go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the, that was the first big step. After after getting the the thing you know ratified in the first place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm glad. It's good to know that there are people out there working that hard to get land preserved. And oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's what, you know, it's one crazy. of my one of my old one of my old mentors, Dan Jansen, when I was getting into that, um, and Dan's really thing. I mean, he won the Kyoto Prize. He said the key to land conservation, you know, species or land conservation is find that one person in that one place that has made that thing their life's work and then fund the living hell out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Throw money at them. Right. And then find another one. Uh Oh, that's fantastic. And then find another one. Yeah. Because that's going to be, I mean, those are dedicated lawyers. I mean, that's, I mean, well, actually, and well, it actually wasn't the lawyers. I mean, the lawyers came in, did their job, and they, you know, they did. They didn't do it pro bono, but they did it really cheap. Um, but no, we had two guys. One in particular, Jim Penn, who decided that this thing. He's from Michigan, uh, or actually, no, from Illinois. I take it back from Decatur. Um, decided that this one place in South America was his life's work, and I mean, he threw himself into it. At one point, he got stranded down there for six months with no money. Oh my God! And was, and was living in the villages, and he didn't speak Spanish at the time. <laughs> he, was learning, <laughs> he was learning to oh, speak Quechua in Spanish. Um, so I mean, he really like made it his his life's work. And then you know, when we discovered him, we started funding him, and then he came on our board of directors, and then we all went forward. That's fantastic. Hope, hope I hope he wrote a book about that. How to? A... <laughs> I think he's working on it. <laughs> well. I think um, so. We've been super fucking serious. This has been good, serious conversation. Yeah, there hasn't been any fucking swearing here for. I know. Like, I, was just, I was just thinking, like, it's, whoa. Yeah, it's fu- it's pretty rare for us to to dive down to dive down the serious rabbit hole. But uh, let so let's let's switch gears here. You're yeah. the uh, you're the fucking big day king, man. Um, how to, <laughs> how does who, a, who did you club in the field who's never seen again? <laughs> uh, well, I well we'll talk about bodies soon. Well, we did, we, we did, we did, we did have, we, we did have one, one instance where um, we, we thought we lost somebody <laughs> like the, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the team members just collapsed in a parking lot and oh, just no. like, we're like, um, what do we do? This is really going to fuck up our big day. Right. <laughs> we can't count his numbers. Just put a flag on him. Like give call him, 911. Give him a Gatorade, give him a Gatorade and a banana and throw him in the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> But so, but for real, like, what does it take? What does it take to for to make a successful big day? What what do you have to do? What kind of planning? What well, is gotta, um? You've got to scope out, you know, what your goal is. Yeah. And so, you know, a state big day, a county big day, a city big day, a park big day, because you can you can define a big day um, area any way you want. Sure. Um, so let's say you're going for a state big day, uh, which is the most common. Um, or at least the most competitive. Hmm. Um, you have to plan and you have to scout. And the things you scout for are um, not some of the things that you might think of. For instance, it's not the places where you might find the most species. 
it's the places where you might find the most species in very close po- proximity to where you can park a vehicle. Ah. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. the further you go away from your vehicle, the more down into the time hole you go. Mm. And so ideally what you want to be able to do is pull up, get out of the car, you know, walk 30 yards and get everything you're going to get and then jump back in and go to the next place. Hmm. Um, you know, if you wind up having to walk a couple of miles, that's just, oh yeah, that's a sink that, that, that you might not get out of. Um, or you need like a Segway. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can like get one of those in Chicago. Is that right? allowed? I was gonna say in New Haven is probably just an unregistered dirt bike. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Oh ding, my ding. god! See now, now, now here's here's my dyslexic brain. When you said that, I thought, wait, we're changing topics already. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Oh, so, um, <laughs> so, so, and the next and the next thing is um, <clears throat> find your stakeout birds, and so so get your hard stakeout birds um, and put those all together on a map and then start building off that map. So, you know, when we started looking at the Illinois route, we're, we're looking at the hard birds that we could stake out and we're looking at things like, you know, Bell's Vireo, um, yellow-breasted chat, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so we map those all out and then start looking at, okay, so here, right over here next to this is a high quality woodland where we can pick up all of our normal woodland birds mm-hmm. um, and then string those all together on a map. Uh, and then the week before, scout, 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 mm-hmm. and then watch the weather. Because assuming you're doing this, doing this during spring migration, uh, which is when pretty much all of them are done when sure. they're, when you're trying for a state record, um, scout like crazy and, and then wait for the right day. So know, I have the, a lot the, of questions. One, one <laughs> is, um, when you're, when you're working on your route, obviously this, the, the literal road layout of the state matters a lot, but sure. I'm assuming even in some, like, let's, take a boring state that looks like a square as an example would you obviously you're playing with natural features right so you so you need some waterfront you need some you need some open plain you need some woodland and stuff like that are you just trying to draw a straight line like from one side to another does that sort of maximize well it's it's not so much a straight line as it is mileage and time yeah and, you know, for, for years in, in Illinois, anyways, you know, for years, the, the, the common wisdom was if you don't include the lakefront, the Chicago lakefront, you're never going to do it because places like Montrose, you know, you can on a, on a good spring day, you can go to Montrose and get 110 species basically standing in one spot. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Sean's eyes and, are like bulging out of his head right now. <laughs> oh, you already... got to come out and visit. You got to come out and visit Montrose in the spring. There's it's a, really he's looking at plane tickets. Route. There's a direct it's, route from BDL fucking... to ORD. So yeah. yeah, it's it's fucking amazing. And it's um, cheap-ish. Oh yeah, I mean Midway. You know, if you go to Midway, it's even cheaper probably on Southwest. Hmm. Um, but then we, you know, I started talking to to some some old time county listers. Uh, one in particular, my friend Andy. And he and I started kind of working on different ways to do this. And um, one idea that kind of that we came up with was screw the migrant traps. By the middle of May, 
let's start looking at breeding territories. And we came up with a route that basically follows part of the Mississippi River. So uh, completely on the other side of the state, follows the Mississippi River and then jumps over to the Illinois River um, and just kind of goes in a diagonal line down these two rivers. Um, but the route has 146 stakeoutable uh, breeding species. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so that, you know, we found there's one park in Northwestern Illinois that has an amazing diversity of breeding warblers um, and other high quality woodland birds. Hmm. Um, and, you know, more cerulean warblers oh. than you could, yeah, you, know, you could build a bridge out of cerulean warblers. No, <laughs> but delicious. it's, like, it's like a literal hot spot. It's like, where it all is the a literal hot spot. Are... Yeah. Hmm. It's a small park, um, but it's, it's really high quality habitat. So that was the, we started looking at when we were, working on this route, we started looking at really high quality habitat um, and mm -hmm. in, in especially high quality marshes, because that's something Illinois has very little of. Hmm. Um, there's only two or three high quality marshes in the whole state. And um, so, you know, things like, like least bittern, um, any of the rails, uh, these things, marsh rent become difficult uh, in, in our state. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, they might be throwaway birds in places like, Kansas or Missouri or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that so that you know, it, it was kind of a a, a a mishmash of all of that. You look high quality habitat um, that all kind of strings together on a route that's doable. I think that the route we wound up doing was 187 miles. Oh my god! Oh wow! Um, that you know we <clears throat> covered in a 24 hour period. And how much? Um, like how many hours of birding were you literally doing? 24, 24, 24 hours. Literally were 24. Yeah, we were the, the, the year that we broke the big day record with, uh, 191 species. We were standing, looking at a Cooper's hawk on a nest at 1155. And just when the clock clicked 12, it's like, got it. Let's mm. go. Wow. <laughs> so you're going from midnight to midnight, basically? Yeah. Midnight to midnight. Fuck. And that and that is how it's that's that is a big day. That's there are people who are like, oh, well, you could do it from noon to noon. I'm like, yeah, fine. That's if you want to do that, but that's not a big day. I'm old school in that in that sense. No, no. Did you like synchronize your watches and? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> in, infrared scopes. So so um, so we're talking about spotting here and. I have to I have to hear this story quickly about uh, what you spotted in Lake Michigan. Oh, it's <laughs> actually happened two or three times. Oh, um, really? Would she? I mean, I do. Don't well, fuck well, with two, Chicago, man. Two uh, Chicago. Well, it's like you know, who knows where they came from? I mean, <laughs> right. you know, could have been friends. <laughs> one of them was Canadians. Obvious. We're talking about dead bodies here, people. Yeah. Um, I've. I've I didn't find so I've seen three dead bodies while out birding. Um, two of them, two of them I, found. I I shouldn't laugh. I don't know why that makes me laugh. I'm sorry. That's, one I think it's like that's hilarious. so insane. One one was a floater off Waukegan Beach that probably came from Wisconsin. Wow. And did it have it cheese? Like, Is that why it had like a, it had like a cheese hat on? Well, it had been out in the water so long it looked like four or five bleach bottles bouncing around. Oh out man! Oh my fucking scotties, man! Uh, and we watched when as the Coast Guard came and they just hooked a line to it and towed it like 
uh, they towed it yeah. someplace. They didn't even bring it up on the boat. Right. Um, and then the other one was uh, uh, some guy that washed up on Montrose Beach, actually. Um, and then there's a, a terrible, terrible one that, that also happened at Montrose. But this was like in the 70s back when, you know, it, there was no bird sanctuary there or anything. But um it's, it, that one's even like too. I'm not even going to go into that one. Okay, it was, <laughs> but it was nasty. Yeah. <laughs> this wow, right? This is like uh, birding the the East River in in like the 1980s, right? And oh, yeah, he in sang New York, like a canary. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just body, well, body, you know, bird, and, body, bird. You know, if you it, it's it most of the time, and you know, technology wasn't then what it is now, in 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 a lot of ways. But you know, people just boating. They have a boating accident and they right. fall overboard and yeah we never found them yeah their right. apple watch isn't so well, you know a signal or anything exactly like you know and then four or five weeks later oh look yeah there's something out there oh, man. we found him sure. um, oh, so, yeah, no it's it's not like you know it's not like mob bosses dumping bodies all over the place it's just you know drunk die. fishermen well that you know exactly of. right exactly. yeah that we know of so um, all right so the other thing is that um so when you're not finding bodies, yes, you're having violent interactions with some of the other wildlife in the area, and you referenced <laughs> you referenced a pig assault, and I'm I'm curious well, about that was this in, as well. That was in South America, okay, uh, actually, and um, yeah, so so I was you know was staying at this house, and a house in in rural Amazon is a bamboo wood plat and wood platform that's mm. about 10 15 feet up with a thatch roof over it mm -hmm. that's a house right <laughs> yeah and um so we were staying at this house and underneath the house the guy who owned it um and to put this into perspective this is about 120 miles south east of iquitos um on a small river that's probably back then um, a good, well, for the people who live there, they're three days away from uh, electricity. Um, for us with speedboats, yeah, it was probably a day and a half hmm. um, or a day away from getting back to like a hospital or anything. Um, so uh, this guy had pigs and the pigs lived under the house. And um, when you're out in that kind of a situation, uh, in in those kinds of situations, there's always a latrine area. The houses don't have bathrooms. Right. There is a there is a latrine area that's away over there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And every village, every place you go to, like the first thing you ask is, "Where's the place?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, just go down over there, and you'll see the trail, and you'll find it, no problem." So that's what happened. I was like, "Okay, go down there and." There it was, and as I'm as I'm walking down, um, my friend Jim and the guys are all talking and they're kind of laughing, and he like leads over and he's like, "They say don't forget to use the stick," and I'm like, "Okay, um, fine." So I walk down the trail and there's an obvious trail and get to the latrine, obvious latrine, and there's this stick that's like a kind of bigger than a baseball bat with a with a with a the end of it is spiked 
and it's stuck in the ground at an angle next to the latrine. <laughs> That's and, not ominous. And I'm like, huh. A shit okay. stick. Yeah. I'm like, and I think I actually did call it a shit stick at that moment. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, huh, okay, what to do with the stick? So, so you know, it's if the hole gets you're, you're literally, Well, you're literally shitting in a hole in the ground. Yeah. You're just out there shitting in a hole in the ground. So it's like, you know, drop trow, assume the position. But then I'm like, the stick. So I put the stick at an angle, like under my right armpit. So mm -hmm. and holding on to it with my <laughs> hand. And I'm like, oh, the stick is awesome. This is like a whole new level of balance and security. Like you're not going to fall over backwards into the shithole. It's just like, you're just going to, this is awesome. Why doesn't everybody use the stick? So I'm like just happily there crapping using the stick. When from behind me, I hear. <laughs> now pigs are coming to get dinner while it's being produced. Uh, oh no. no. Yeah. And then I realize in a flash that the oh. stick is to hit the pigs with. Oh. Man. So imagine that you're out in the rainforest with your pants around your ankle. I don't even know what I would three do. Three pigs. I'm and getting just, anxious just thinking about and it. And so I pick the stick up af out of the ground and I hit the biggest one on the head with it. And it, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear the guys back at the house like falling down the stairs laughing. <laughs> oh, I, mean, that's I, don't, the I don't condone animals. That's the assaulted. Like, that's the assaulted by pig story. I would definitely do that in that situation. I think anyone would do that in that situation. So my question is, did you eat any pork while you were down there? Oh hell no. Okay. All right. No, All right. No, just just no, no. Mm, no. making sure. <laughs> Shit no. Fish fish delicious. and fruits. Fish and fruits. Fish and fruit. Yeah. Although actually it's I'm not entirely true. I did eat some bird. Um I ate a Cock blue the rock. And gold, a blue and gold macaw. Oh. And mm. a Spix's guan. The Spix's Guan wasn't too bad. The blue and gold macaws sucked. Now, are these are these typical food birds for locals, or you yeah. just felt like going exotic? Well, no, no, no. That's we we would eat whatever they were having in the you know in the in the in the house. Okay, so they're just and, hunting these birds, right? And the, you know, Spix's Spix's Guan is you know it's like a turkey, small turkey. Okay, hey, macaw um, and, seems like a a weird choice. Yeah, what well, the macaw like? the macaw is. Um, was actually so they plant fruit trees around the houses. Oh, okay. And the macaw was eating the fruit, so the right. guy shot it. Right. And absolutely no protein goes to waste. Right. So if they anything sense. goes in the pot, hmm. and so I'm sitting there eating this soup, and there's this big pile of macaw feathers on the ground or oh. on the floor, and I'm like, um, uh, "What are you going to do with those?" And he says, "Oh, we'll make something to sell to tourists upriver or something," and. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm like, where did, where, where'd the macaw go? And he's like, it's in the soup you're eating. <laughs> what does macaw taste like? Shoe leather. Oh, uh, sounds great. Like really bad shoe leather. Ugh. That's Ew. weird. That's huh. not a bird I would have ever thought about eating. I, that, that I, like... I, I didn't until after I had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess. Hindsight 2020. <laughs> um. <laughs> Man, where do you go from the Scott's from having the, a really hard time from with the pig eating shit stick? I don't. I'm just like trying to think. 
that's pretty much the denouement of this interview, and like it's just going to go downhill. Well, I think that brings us to our our last and, and most infamous question. Uh oh, I'm, I'm still stuck on this fucking macaw. I'm just I'm, I worked at a pet store right out of high, high school, and like yeah. the pet shop mascot was a blue and gold macaw, oh, and yeah. I hated that bird so fucking much. It bit me so many times, and I just yeah. like, oh, it literally like it was oh. Oh, that's bad. Speaking of phones. Oh, my God. Wow. And okay. this we're is, breaking this is our own fucking problem. Totally, Mother-in-laws. Totally ruined. <laughs> I didn't hear anything from this end. Okay. Yeah, amazing. Our, on our side, we're getting phone calls, too. In this our head. Fantastic. Yeah. It's just we're um, all wearing um, so, headphones. Uh, yeah, this is just uh, like uh, everybody just stop using Google and Apple products. Uh, <laughs> so I can't do that. I can't, I'm sorry. Vision. I can't do that. Oh, man. Uh, I'm just. I'll I, never, I mean, man, Apple products. Is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm just gonna say it. Hey man, I'm a web developer. I get it. Yeah. God. You know, I, if if it wasn't for web develop, because yeah, I was a professional photographer for quite a while, and you know, when digital happened, stock photography just went the, the oh, entire yeah. industry just went goodbye. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually sort of watched that happen like up close. Um, oh yeah, so did yeah. I. Yeah. That. That's... And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm anyway. Yeah. Um, so. You had a, a a question, I think. I always let Sean ask. Yeah, I'm just throwing oh. up in my mouth over the macaw <clears throat> still. It is um, gross, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten some really weird shit, but never a macaw, so I, you're gonna you'll take that one from me forever. That's fucking <laughs> gross. Um yeah, so we always ask, we wanna know, do you believe in the ivory build woodpecker? Oh good lord. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Oh. Hey, you know. Do I, I mean, do you want me to give a straight answer? Like, well, yes, I've held. We're, we're never interested in those. I've spelled, I've held specimens in my hand, so I know they existed. Yep. Um, no, they're gone, man. They're gone. Okay. Yeah. They're gone. There's, mm-hmm. you know, that it's the, 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 the habitat is the habitat and the food source is, is just gone. Yeah. You know, the giant, the giants, the, the giant trees and the big cerambicid beetles that they lived on, um, they're just they're just gone. Okay. You People know, no hate one's those actually extinction. No one not, no the one's Beatles. actually talked about the Beatles. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. We like everybody's so focused on the lore or the videos or like, you know, just the fucking the I guess the romanticism of like the possibility. Know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But nobody well, ever talks about it from an like a true ecological yeah. standpoint. Well, you, you think about giant animals, you know, lions are so big because they evolved to take down things like buffalo. Sure. And, you know, a ivory billed woodpecker got so big so that it could hammer down and, and take a grub the size of your forearm. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, they, they were after big food and yeah. those, those big bees. I, I, uh, another Peru thing. I mean, I remember, um, being in a recently cleared area for a, a chakra, which is a, a local garden. Um, and by the way, slash and burn uh, agriculture is not a nasty thing. It, in, in done properly, it's actually a good thing. Sure. Um, and I was in one of these recently burned chakras, which had just dead wood all over the place. And there were um, three or four uh, big Campophilus woodpeckers. I'm trying to remember which species they were down there, not banded. Um, I can't remember the species, but, you know, big pileated or bigger sized Sure. Woodpeckers just hammering away at these the and these beetles were all over the place and I, I these these cerambicid beetles were like 
like giant click beetles, um, like four or five inches long. Oh, oh my wow, god! No thanks. Flying around, you know, mm-hmm. emerging uh, from pupation and flying around this field, and the the woodpeckers were just going to town on these trees. Mm-hmm. Wow! Oh, delicious! I I'm think... like I'm not like afraid of bugs, but when they're like over two inches, I'm out. Yeah. That's pretty gross. Yeah. There's a joke to be made there. I know. (laughs) I was trying to like figure out how I would make it and I decided to let it be. Yeah, just walk away, Greg. Walk away. Yeah. (laughs) I think that maybe the size of the, the true size of the ivory builds or something that people also overlook. Like, pileated are really fucking big. So think about, and these things are like a head bigger than pileated. Google the the two of them, you know, Google the two of them side by side. I mean, Mm Pileated woodpecker is like a turkey next to it. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. I mean, they're not literally as big as a turkey. Somebody's going to be like, yeah, he's always as big as a turkey. Right, no, right. they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I actually, I didn't even know that. I just, I saw the picture and, and only the, you know, the famous Photoshop or whatever that is, picture of, of it. Yeah. And well, I, the one, you know, the one picture of the, 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 the fledglings climbing around on, on the guy's head, um, whose name I should know, but I can't remember um but you look at the size of these birds i mean they're totally covering his whole like head and shoulders yeah yeah it is hard to think about think that a a bird that would be so conspicuous is is so easy Mm -hmm. to uh so easy to hide in at at that point so Hmm. yeah google more images yeah and you think about their their closest relative that we have here pileated woodpecker when there's a pileated woodpecker around, you know it. You fucking definitely. I mean, know. if if you 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 see that there, you see the trees they tear apart. You hear them. And I realized that I rebuild had had a pretty weak call and and it didn't drum like that. But you still, you know it. They're yeah. big and bold, and you know this this all the like the video. I remember the video that everybody was scrutinizing. That was a wood duck flying away, and it's like, oh, I got an ivory build woodpecker. No, <laughs> that's a wood duck. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's fine. That's Sorry fine. to burst who's ever bubble I just fucking popped. But it's always Sean. It's just my bubble. I don't. I don't really it's have investment. Bubble. I'm always. I'm. I'm more interested in how different all the answers have been. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. At this Even if point. they're yay or nay, there's always some something that different that's that they use as their the reason. Yeah, no, and it's it, it's true. The, thinking about the ecology. Uh, it, it's an important part of it, and I think that's something that like people overlook a lot when it comes to all species, like pr- even down to like protecting current species. Like you know, if we take the is it the money there? The money might be there, but is like the real in reality, can we cur- recreate the right ecology for them? Like, right. it, like well, and- I mean, you look at you look at the size, you look at the size of the the trees in old pictures. Yeah. We don't have anything like that anymore. No, those grow. There, there were there were a few like when I was a kid, there were a few like truly. There, there's one or two, um, uh, untouched forests in um, in Michigan yeah. that have massive birch trees. Warren Woods is one of them that have never been cut, um, or at least not in not since you know he, uh, white people have lived here. Yeah. Um, and they are they're people we are you walk into this forest like my god i've never seen beech trees like this yeah because they're not allowed to live that long anymore yeah 
And there's passenger pigeons and a lot of other species that, that are gone relied on that kind of habitat that's just gone. You know, passenger pigeons had nesting colonies that stretched for miles yeah. through the beach forest. And there isn't miles of beach forest left anymore. That's true. Yeah, well, one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna. Well, but no, hey, but no, don't let's not end this on a negative thing. Now, now the whole, you know, the whole like like billions of birds less. That that's true, and you know, if you've been birding for 45 years like me, you've seen it. You know, I I remember spring migrations where it didn't matter where you were, warblers were dripping off the trees, and spring migration lasted for two solid weeks, not three days. And you didn't have to go to a migrant trap. It's like you just went to any woods and there were just yellow rumped and magnolia and, and everywhere. It was crazy. Um, and you don't have that anymore and at all, ever. So, you know, I do believe that. But on the other hand, just in my lifetime, birds are rapidly adapting. And we have, um, like, look at Cooper's hawks. Yeah. Um, Osprey over yeah, here. Yeah, you know, bald eagles, osprey. You know, um, and, and but but even things like blue grosbeaks. Um, you know, I'm talking birds in in my neck of the woods. I'm sure that out east and out west, there's different species. But it, birds are birds adapt really rapidly. And you know, when I started birding, you had to drive 200 miles to find a blue grosbeak, and now they they nest in the Chicago area. Hmm. And there's good humor, human intervention as well, such oh, of as course like there is. the purple martin nests and things like that helping. And well, and another another uh, really kind of cool adaptation is a, a bird that was extremely hard to find when I was a kid birder was dick sissel. And they have now adapted to breeding in the grass rows between cornfields. So when you go from one landowner to another, there's like a, a there's like a ditch with grass on the side of it, um, and it's maybe like a ten yard wide strip of grass, and those strips of grass are full of dick sizzles. Huh. <laughs> there's a joke in there laugh. too. But yeah, we're, we're going to walk away from that one. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, I guess that's good. I think I'll, I can handle that. I can handle and this. Ending on a, <laughs> and, ending, ending on a dick sizzle ditch. His eyes yeah. are dim, just, but they're, they're coming Put it in back. a box, put it in a box, wrap that's it up. They're dead, they're gone, but the dick sizzles have figured their shit out, and that's yep. good. I like that. Good for you, dick sizzles. Greg Neese, thanks for coming on. Thanks hey, for it's been fun. regaling us with your with your stories and of bodies. Dead bodies. And pig I, pig pigs, assault. Pig, pig assault, shit, shit sticks. Eating macaws. Eating macaws. Yeah, yeah. This is good. We really yeah. appreciate it. Square uh, not square dancing. Hope everybody yeah. goes and fucking checks out the ABA if you haven't already. You should. You should become a, you should yeah, you should become a member of the ABA. Yeah. If you bird, you should come join us in the big tent. Fuck yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. All right, guys. Take it easy, Thank Greg. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this, our 14th episode. We told you it was gross. If you want to catch up with more of what Greg and the rest of the ABA has to offer, you can find them at aba.org. You can keep up with your beloved Foulmouth's crew on Twitter at Foulmouth Show, Instagram at Foulmouth's Podcast, Facebook at Foulmouse Podcast, or just email us at info at foulmousepodcast.com. 
We'll be back soon-ish with new episodes, great guests, and more of our horrible, wonderful, foul opinions. Until then, please remember to hit that subscribe button, rate us, or leave a fucking review. (laughs) 